Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Ross. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'm a guy who explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. Thank you for joining us for part two of our series for the summer of 1933. Uh, if you did not catch part one, here's a brief recap. We covered Bonnie and Clyde and their travels through Southwest Missouri, a little bit about their history and events, including um, Orinogo, Springfield, and ultimately the shootout in Joplin, Missouri um, in April of 1933. And we jumped forward in the timeline for today's episode to June of 1933. So if you've not checked that out the episode, please go back and listen to part one or catch part two and then go back to part one. But for today, we're going to jump in time and we're going to go into June of 1933. And of course, I am joined by Kathleen Seal from the State Historical Society of Missouri. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me back. Now, to start off with, one of the things we talked a little bit about when we were looking at Bonnie and Clyde, and of course, we're going to talk about today, is looking at roadways. We're looking at the intersection of Highway 40 and 63 today. Bonnie and Clyde are traveling through that kind of classic Route 66 area of Southwest Missouri and some of the stuff we were talking about last, last time. So kind of update us a little bit about the state of Missouri roadways of uh, circa 1920s and into the 1930s, you know, what are the major highways that are crisscrossing Missouri? What is travel like for many Missourians as they're going around the state at that point? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think uh, the increased number of roadways and not just the increased number, but also the improvements, the extending of roadways that you see during this time period so you have a lot at this time with the good road movement. So with the increased use of the automobile and just the popularity of it, it really became obvious to a lot of people, not just in the state of Missouri, but across the nation as well, as to the need for more interconnected highways across the state of Missouri, leading from major metropolitan areas, but then also um, the improvement a lot of these roadways, because for the most part, some of them were strictly dirt roads, maybe gravel, if there had been some local either city or, or county improvements. A lot of towns, even in larger cities like Springfield and St. Louis, you still had relatively unpaved roads. Um, so the increased number of automobiles and just the desire to move more efficiently and quickly across the state for commerce, for business, for travel, tourism, was really increasing during this time. Route 66 was a major um, component of this. It actually is officially established and becomes Route 66 in 1926. I actually know a little bit more about that particular road that seen as I'm part of the State Historical Society's efforts to commemorate the centennial for Route 66, which is coming up in 2026. So right now we're actually doing a collecting initiative, trying to collect and preserve materials related to the history of Route 66. Because for a lot of Missouri, that was a major thoroughfare and had a major impact on 
businesses, on tourism, on the cities themselves, how they're developed. It allowed for greater connection between, you know, St. Louis all the way down to southwest corner of the state, which, you know, for a lot of legitimate purposes was great. Um, but as we've seen with our last episode and episodes to come, there were the criminal aspects of this that were actually also taking benefit from some of these different roads. So you've got these major connecting highways that it wasn't just 66, but kind of that was the 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 big spurring point, I think, for a lot of other highway improvements across the state as well. As you mentioned, we're at Highway 40 and, and 63 um, for this particular episode. Again, those were highways that saw improvements. You have major thoroughfare between Kansas City and Springfield, and then on down to the Arkansas border. That's also seen improvements. So they really play a crucial role kind of in this point of Missouri's history, both for the legitimate purposes, but also criminal activity with bootlegging or some of these different bank robbers and and different individuals like we saw with Bonnie and Clyde that use these roads. They still do a lot of back roads, again, to evade, um, you know, detection by police as well. But if they're needing to move a little bit more swiftly across the state, these thoroughfares become major access points for them to get here and there across the state, especially between some of the major hot spots for criminal activity or not even so much criminal activity, but places where they could lay low and not necessarily receive as much um, heat from law enforcement. But with the increased number of motorists on the road, with the increased number of highways that are now being used, but then also this increase in criminal use of roadways, you see um, kind of their counterpart in law enforcement also stepping up and making changes. And then we see things like the Missouri State Highway Patrol coming into existence along this time period as well. Um, I know I was looking other states, some of them back east that had, you know, more extensive roadways already had highway patrols. So Missouri's maybe a little late to the game, but certainly not behind everyone else. There's still other states like Kansas and Oklahoma that don't have highway patrols until 1937. So Missouri was up there in the forefront with some of them, but other places like California that also Route 66 touches, they had a state highway patrol in 1929. Other states had state police, but would add the motor patrol component to those as well, places like New York and New Mexico. You can't talk about roadways, you can't talk about criminal activity during this time period in the 1930s without also acknowledging the changes to law enforcement, not just at the federal level with like the FBI, but also at the state level. And here in Missouri, that was the Highway Patrol. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Katie. I think the creation of the Highway Patrol there in, in 31 is, is kind of a critical period in time. There have been states prior to Missouri who established highway patrols or state polices, as you said. And there were states, of course, going to be after that point. But Missouri kind of comes into being there in 1931. And it was a period of throughout the 20s of questioning if there was a need for state police, could could county enforcement take care of it? Could city enforcement take care of it? And ultimately, the big question was, is there a need for a statewide network? And I think something that was so striking as I looked at the history of the Highway Patrol was 
one, the ambitious nature of it, right? Having a statewide police force that could coordinate and handle different investigations uh, could be on the lookout for criminal activity, bank robberies and, and, and auto theft and things like that. But yet how much it was curtailed in the earlier period as well. I mean, this is, in, this is 1931. This is right in the very beginning of the Great Depression. So even when the patrol is established by the state legislature, it's signed into law by, by Governor Caulfield in, in April of 31, almost immediately there is a cutback on the resources provided because the budget just isn't there um, for the state to provide the full funding. So originally there was going to be 125 officers for the entire state. That gets cut back to 55 um, almost immediately before it's even established. And for those of you that know all the wonderful landscape of Missouri, Missouri has 114 counties and then the independent city of St. Louis. So 55 Ohio patrol members for 114 counties in the city of St. Louis. So that's a that's a trooper for essentially every two and a half counties. Um, and you can imagine how large these counties are as we know them. I mean, some of them are we could think of Texas County. Um, we could think of you know Franklin County, um, some of the very sizable counties, and thinking how long that today that it takes to cross that county line to the other side of the county, and just the sheer vastness of a lot of Missouri areas. So you're going to have highway patrol officers stationed in more strategic locations along major Missouri highways, especially more heavily populated areas. So you have the establishment of not only the, the the headquarters troop, as it was called, in Jefferson City and located in the Capitol building initially, but you also then have different troop regional headquarters around the state, uh, usually kind of in those strategic areas, like, you know, thinking of between Springfield and Joplin, St. Louis, Kansas City, uh, down along what was, I believe it was 61, later 55 in southeast Missouri, and of course, going up in northern Missouri um, along those major highways as well. So. It's a very, very quick period of time that Missouri's Highway Patrol comes into being. Uh, the first class was announced really in the summer of 1931, and it's a lucrative job. I mean, it's it's a job in the midst of the Depression. So they, uh, the statistics show that 5,000 individuals applied for it for essentially what was originally 125 spots, later 55. So 5,000 for 55 slots. Of that, 1,500 individuals are selected for the next round, which is physical examinations, kind of testing of, of knowledge of different things and kind of the most crucial part, interviews. So traveling and visiting with family members, townspeople from the, the town this person was from, former teachers to see how they were even as children in some capacities. Um, and from that, you get this whittled down now to your final group that uh, trains at the St. Louis Police Academy uh, over the course of October, essentially. So one month of training to roll out for the first day on the road, which was uh, November 24th, 1931. So it was very quickly established. Uh, and there was a lot of growing pains in that first period of time. You have individuals um, in areas they might not be familiar with. You have issues with Missouri roadways, both paved as well as gravel roads. And the biggest thing that strikes me, I think is really important, not only to think about our last episode with Bonnie and Clyde, but what's coming up in future episodes, is that there are not two-way radios in these cars yet. So for a lot of troopers, you're having to go to certain contact points, whether it is your house or your troop office, a service station or a restaurant to get information or to relay information back and forth. So in this point in time, we think of today, you know, minutes as being breaking news within minutes of something, you know, that can be sent out 
uh, to a large base of people to find information. Back then, you know, a couple of hours was still considered a hot lead because that that how much time could elapse before you could pass it on to the next person or get to the next service station to relay something that happened to you. So I think that's really something that's very, very important is just how little communication there was because it just wasn't available, but yet how quickly that information could be passed back and forth once it was established and there was a way to connect from point A to point B, which is why as we talk with some of the stuff we've been talking about with part one and later episodes of how rumors get started, how information is circulated, but also how people were able to be tracked over periods of time is kind of concerning at first for how long it takes, but also kind of a, a surprises you in some capacities of how things were be able to be tracked with kind of poor communication there in the early 1930s. So by the time that we have June of 1933 or even April of 1933, the Highway Patrol was involved with, with the Bonnie and Clyde shootout in, in Joplin, and they're going to be involved, of course, in, in what we're going to talk about today with in Columbia. So I think that's that's something that provides crucial background is kind of who these people are, what they're doing, how this is established, and what is running and operational by, by 1933. Because, you know, as we roll here into Mexico, Missouri, and Columbia, Missouri, one of the members of that very first uh, patrol class, Ben Booth, is going to be kind of a central figure. Uh, in today's episode. So let's let's look at that, Katie. Mexico, Missouri. There is a bank robbery at the Farmers and Merchants Bank in Mexico, June 14th, 1933, happens in the middle of the afternoon. But something that's, I think, as we discussed, and it's kind of striking is nobody knows who did it, both in the moment leading up to days after that, and even today, no one really knows who committed this bank robbery in Mexico, Missouri. No, there. If you look at newspapers accounts in particular from that time period, they're not even sure how many people were involved. Most accounts say three. I did notice that there were some that said there's at least one that said four. There was at least another that said two individuals. But for the the majority, it seemed that possibly three individuals. Some people had descriptions. Uh, others did not. Just said three men, four men. Um, maybe had, you know, vague descriptions of them, of the car they drove. But again, it's all this different information. And then, as you said, relaying that information to neighboring counties, to sheriff's departments, to patrol officers that were in some of those neighboring communities of what to even look out for um, as far as putting up roadblocks and, and trying to catch these bank robbers. It's astounding that they got any information out and were able to put up roadblocks as quickly as they were, but it really kind of lets you know why, as we get into this, as you know, events unfold, maybe why they got as serious as they did, because there wasn't a great deal of information known. Because a lot of these newspaper articles are coming out a day maybe late that day or even the next day. So this is information gleaned after the fact. This ne wouldn't necessarily be information that law enforcement had at the time that they're starting to set up these roadblocks trying to catch the bank robbers from Mexico. But yeah, they were never able to definitively place, there, there was a lot of different suspects, a lot of different names thrown out, but nobody comes up as the, yes, for sure, this is the person that, or people that were involved in the bank robbery. And I think probably some of that is it got overshadowed by events to come that we'll talk about in this episode and later episodes for sure. But I think it's also 
you know, that lack of information or, you know, clarity with some of the eyewitnesses that they had, they, they just were never clear. No one confessed. None of the criminals that they caught for other crimes ever confessed to this particular bank robbery. So I think that was all kind of played into this unknown as to who actually really kind of started this chain of events that unfolds throughout the month of June in Missouri. What we do know is that the bank is robbed that, that afternoon and that individuals on the scene describe a, a fleeing Buick automobile heading towards Highway 54, which is going south, they believe. There are various eyewitness accounts of, of interactions with a similar car near Kingdom City, which would be today along Interstate 70, then, of course, Highway 40. And a roadblock is quickly set up in the intersection of Highway 63 and 40 in Columbia, Missouri, essentially waiting for this for this vehicle. The individuals that are that are at that roadblock uh, are kind of the critically important individuals uh, for the storyline. First, you have Ben Booth. He was born in uh, 1895 uh, near Santa Fe, Missouri, which is in Monroe County. Um, and he was the youngest child of John and Alice Booth. And he grew up on a farm there in Monroe County eventually graduating from Perry High School. And in 1923, he married Alice Reed, who was also from his hometown. Um, and later he worked for Ford Motor Company in Detroit, Michigan. Also was a World War I veteran. Prior to his employment with the Highway Patrol, of course, as I mentioned, he was in that very first class. Uh, he worked as a Ohio, he worked as a officer for the Columbia Police Department and was also familiar uh, with the motorcycle patrol. And upon receiving his credentials through the Ohio Patrol, he is assigned as a sergeant and is stationed in Columbia, which is where he lived with his family. Alongside Booth, we have Roger Wilson, and that name might sound familiar to some individuals. He is an ancestor of Roger B. Wilson, who served in the state legislature, uh, later served as Lieutenant Governor of Missouri from 1983 into 2000. Um, and when Mel Carnahan passes away in an airplane crash in October of, two, of 2000, um, Roger B. Wilson actually takes over as, as governor for the remainder of that term. So Roger Wilson that we're going to talk about is one of his relatives in, in that regard. So uh, this Roger Wilson that we're going to talk about was born in 1890 near Sap, Missouri, which is in Boone County. Um, and he spent most of his life in and around the Boone County area. He was the son of William and Ophelia Wilson and grew up on a farm near Nashville, which is down in Cedar Township. So down kind of southwestern Boone County. In 1913, he married uh, Cora Crane, and they spent a lot of the time raising their family as he worked with farming um, in and around Nashville, served on the Nashville School Board as president for a period of time. And then he decides to get into politics in, in the late 1920s. Um, he runs for Boone County Sheriff in 1928 and is defeated. He runs again in 1932 and wins, and that is kind of what leads him to also then be at this roadblock um, at 63 and 40, as he is the Boone County Sheriff, um, and he is then connected with Ben Booth at that intersection. So that is what brings them on site that day. So you did mention earlier, um, when we're talking about Ben Booth, he was actually a little bit unique for the highway patrol. So you have your 55 troopers, and most of them end up having to relocate somewhere around the state. But Ben Booth is a little unique, and he's actually in his home territory, so he's familiar with the area, with the roadways. And then also Sheriff Wilson, again, another local there of Boone County. So you've got actually two law enforcement officials who are familiar with the area, um, which I think is something of note. So now we know 
at least part of the players we know sergeant booth is there sheriff wilson an unknown number of bank robbers are fleeing the scene of mexico missouri so now we're leading into the events at highway 40 highway 63 where booth and wilson have set up a roadblock on june 14th here in 1933. so booth has kind of become a, a the central figure in a lot of patrol history kind of being in that very first class um and being connected to the, to the series of events so earlier that day on june 14th he'd actually been off duty and something that's so interesting in, the, in that in the, those first couple of years of the patrol is troopers are working sometimes 12 16 hour days because you're the only officer in an area so your days are very very long and even when you're off duty you can be called in at a moment's notice because again you're the only officer and if there's something that's breaking that you need to be taken care of you can be called in so he's actually off work that day and he's basically in Columbia with his family and 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 they're shopping and he's spending time with his family and he's called in to work after this bank news about this bank robbery breaks to help set up the roadblock there at 40 and 63 uh, with Sheriff Wilson and they're waiting for this mysterious vehicle these individuals um, to see if they're going to come through the area and I'm kind of going to give a, a, a warning again like we did with part one about kind of what's going to follow here it's going to get a little graphic describing the incident so just a heads up on that one here but as they're standing at the roadblock, um, a 1932 Ford V8 coupe begins to pull up to the intersection there, um, and they begin to question them. It's not a vehicle matching the description of what had been seen earlier in Mexico. So they initially set out to ask them if they had seen the vehicle or if they had any, any information about what was going on there. When Booth approaches the door and opens the door to speak to the passengers, shots ring out and almost immediately he is hit by gunfire in his leg and he kind of uh, it kind of reacts to that sheriff wilson then approaches the vehicle from the other side and he is shot in the head um, and he is killed instantly from that gunshot booth of course is injured and he begins to to kind of wrestle and fight with the occupants of the car to gain control of the weapon that was used with the shooting the driver then emerged from the car ran over to where Booth was at, kind of fighting with the other occupants, um, and shoots him in the back, and then shoots him once more. Booth is alive in the midst of all of this. He does not pass away right away. And once the assailants flee and head down the highway further, witnesses kind of reconstruct what happened. They, they take note of the license plate, the, the make and model of the vehicle, ideas about who might have been in it when in, in the midst of the fighting of it. Um, and Booth is transferred over to a nearby hospital. Uh, so the vehicle he's actually traveling in to get to the hospital ends up going the direction towards his own his own house. So his children are actually playing in the front yard when the vehicle goes by. In route to the hospital, he passes away. So Ben Booth becomes the first Ohio patrolman to be killed in the line of duty. Um, so in the aftermath of that, you know, there's... A, a massive search for these individuals, kind of looking in all directions, not only if these individuals were connected to the Mexico bank robbery, but who these individuals might be. Because as we've talked about with part one, you know, Bonnie and Clyde are still at large. You know, there are other very notable criminals of that era who are crisscrossing Missouri as well. So there's a number of questions raised about who these individuals are. So a Missouri-wide search begins um, and kind of looking at different individuals uh, connected with all that. In the meantime, 
Both Booth and Wilson are, are laid in state in the Boone County Courthouse for the public to pay its respect. Booth ultimately has a funeral at the Christian Church in Columbia, and he's laid to rest in Memorial Park Cemetery. Wilson is returned to Nashville, Missouri, um, and he is buried in the Nashville Cemetery. This is, what, a year and a half maybe after the highway patrol had really gotten started, and now they're looking at this massive manhunt. It actually ends up going across state lines. And I believe a lot of it was actually kind of headed by a Captain Means with the Highway Patrol. He leads a lot of the efforts. Um, there's even some undercover work towards the end of it, trying to find who these individuals were in the car, still kind of under the assumption partially that they were the, the bank robbers from Mexico, Missouri. From some of the things I've, I've read about Captain Means, he seems to have dismissed a little bit of that. He thought they were other individuals criminals at this time um, which we find out to be true and that they thought they were being arrested and that's why they reacted when they saw the roadblock they thought the roadblock was for them when in reality it was um potentially for other criminals at, at that time which just goes to show you how kind of crazy this time period was that there are that many criminals bank robbers on the road at the time um to be potentially stopped by Booth and Wilson. So this goes on for, I guess it's almost a year um, before they end up coming to two individuals that they um, find for this. So the gunman turns out to be uh, Francis McNeely and George McKeever. McNeely's actually questioned in Iowa. So he's the one that they end up across state lines. And confesses actually to the crime and he's the one that then connects McKeever to the events as well so um, Captain Means was able to track down McNeely first um, which leads him to the second gunman so McKeever who's actually at that point serving prison time in South Dakota for another crime that he had committed ends up being questioned and brought back um, McNeely, since he had turned state evidence, he was given a prison sentence, but was later ended up being paroled in the 1940s and goes on to live a really quiet life after that. Uh, McKeever was actually tried and found guilty, and then he was sentenced to be publicly executed on December 18, 1936 in Fulton, Missouri, and he was actually the last public hanging that takes place in the state of Missouri at that time point. So we now have the actual killers at this point. Neither of them confess to the Mexico bank robbery. Both of them claim that they weren't a part of that particular bank robbery, although they confessed to other crimes. So it seems likely that they weren't, if they're willing to confess to other crimes that they had committed, which I think other bank robberies and other locations as well. Highway Patrol, especially Captain Means, didn't seem to think they had any connection with the Mexico bank robbery at this point. So again, that part of it still remains a mystery, but they do end up finding these two gentlemen as, as the killers. Even though much speculation had gone around through eyewitnesses from that day, but then also newspaper reports from other um, instances, other events that take place in Missouri. Other names are thrown out during this time period, but McKeever and McNeely both confess to it and are 
tried and found guilty. What's so fascinating about this, Katie, is that kind of as you said, there's a long, you know, almost year and a half investigation, undercover investigation to identify McNeely and McKeever, ultimately kind of connecting them with with the murders of, of Ben Booth and, and Roger Wilson. There is no definitive answer about who ultimately robbed the bank in Mexico, Missouri. But added to all this is something that I think is is often forgotten about in the connection between this and what we're going to discuss in our next episode is that one of the key principal first suspects mm-hmm. in all of this is a is an individual identified by a Columbia resident by the name of Lucy Clark. Um, she had seen what had happened at the intersection of 40 and 63, and police questioned her about you know the car, about the the timeline of events. And about the individuals inside. And they show her a series of what essentially we wanted posters, mug shots of kind of notable criminals of the era. And she points to two, a couple of the photographs and says, this is the individual. This is one of the people that was there. And that person is identified as a Charles Floyd. Now, questions abound about whether Charles Floyd was in Mexico, whether Charles Floyd was in Colombia. But where do we know that Charles Floyd was at this point in time in 1933, Katie? So actually in this point, you can find Charles, also known as Pretty Boy Floyd, and his compatriots, Adam Ricchetti, are actually down in Polk County at this time period. And in the next couple of days, there's a series of events that you'll find them traversing the western portion of the state up towards Kansas City. So the likelihood of them being in Mexico or Colombia is very doubtful. Um, There are still some sources that claim the two of them as being part of the group that robbed the bank in Mexico. But again, there's no definitive answer. No one was ever actually arrested um, or charged with that bank robbery. So uh, one of the accounts that I came across regarding uh, Booth and Wilson, one of the gunmen that were in the car, apparently after he had shot Booth for the third time, stops and like fixes his hair and kind of takes care of his appearance that had been ruffled in kind of a very vain way, which again leads to this idea of, oh, it was Pretty Boy Floyd, who's well known for being a bit vain about his appearance, hence the the name Pretty Boy. So those rumors continue to abound a little bit of his association with that. And then you have events in the next couple of days up in Kansas City with the Union Station massacre that just really explode these rumor mills of who Floyd and Ricchetti are and just shines a big spotlight on the two of them. But again, you go back to the Highway Patrol and their investigation, and they pretty quickly, as far as I can tell, kind of dismissed the claims that it's it's Floyd and Ricchetti. They didn't think that that panned out, again, because Floyd and Ricchetti are down in southwest Missouri in Polk County committing a series of other crimes. So I guess that's their alibi is you commit crimes in another county at the same time, you can be let off on, on other crimes elsewhere in the state. Join us for part three coming up when we look at not only the Union Station Massacre, but also just where Floyd and Rochetti were in southwest Missouri leading up to those events. Thank you for listening to the Our Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, 
including past and future episodes, information about guests, and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri. <laughs>